And the Lord said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command to you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you were invited to eat of this sacrifice and you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods, you shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. The time appointed in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that opened the womb are mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey, uh, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let uh, the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your uh, holy word. And Lord, we long to uh, hear from you, to behold the beauty of who you are. Uh, by faith. And so we pray that you'd send your spirit to instruct us, take these ancient words and apply them into our life now. Um, draw us near to you. And we uh, ask this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are you know, in the second uh, Sunday of Advent, as John mentioned at the beginning of the service. Uh, the, Advent is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas in the church calendar. 
and which represent the time leading up to the coming of the Messiah. So, you know, in the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, were waiting for the Messiah to come. And now we too are waiting for Christ, Messiah, to come again. And what Advent teaches us is that the Christian life is a life of waiting. The Christian life is a life of waiting. And, you know, I've thought uh, throughout my uh, throughout my life, you know, I've thought that waiting is, you know, one of the, most, the strangest and most important experiences uh, in human life. You know, I remember being a, a middle school boy and thinking, this, maybe someday in the future I will kiss a girl. And, you know, it's way down in the future. But what would it be like to live in that world that might happen someday? I don't know if it will ever happen, you know. And then when I was a, a teenager, my parents had me sent away. I went to a boys' correctional school. I was there for a year and a half when I was 16, which a year and a half is like forever when you're 16. And I was in this school, and I would think about what will it be like when I'm home and I'm not in the school anymore. And I, I can't imagine that will ever happen. And, uh, and then, you know, when I went to, I was in seminary, I was preparing to be a pastor. I wanted to plant a church in Bellingham. And I was thinking about what will it be like when I've been in Bellingham for a year and the church is a year old, you know. And then, you know, when my kids were in their toddlers, I thought, you know, what will it be like when they can put their clothes on themselves? And <laughs> what an amazing world that would be in the future. And you felt like it's never going to come. And all of these things felt like a future that I, people had said was going to come someday, and it felt like it was going to never come. And guess what? You know, all those things have happened. You know, I kiss my wife every day. It's great, you know. And uh, I, I've been home from that school for over 20 years now, and the school's 10 years old, and my children can make their own breakfast. They can't not only put their own clothes on, they can make their own breakfast and have interesting conversations with me. All of you are probably waiting for something right now. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse, for the job you want. Maybe you're waiting for your marriage to improve or for your children to no longer be in diapers. Maybe you're waiting to die and to go be with the Lord. Well, if your hope is in Christ, you are above all waiting for the day when he will come to bring rest and his kingdom to the earth. And everything will be put right, and all of us feel like that future that we all believe in. As Christians, this is our hope. This is why we're believers. It's coming. It's a future that feels like it's never actually going to come. And, you know, I was preparing this sermon. I was thinking about all the millions of Christians who've lived before us. And they were all in the situation we're in right now. They were waiting. And all of them are actually have gone now to be with the Lord in glory. They've beheld him. They've been perfected. They've been freed from sin. And this is why... We need Advent. The Christian life is a life of waiting, trusting God for a future that sometimes feels like it will never come. And Advent says to us, don't scream. Don't give up in despair. Don't become cynical. There will be a time when our toil is no more, our depression is no more, our sin is no more, our loneliness is no more. And we need to, tr- we need to learn the skill of waiting and trusting him. And so today we're uh, going to look at this passage from Exodus 34 and think about what it has to teach us about the season of Advent, about the season of waiting. And in particular, it's going to answer two questions for us. What are we waiting for and how do we wait by faith? What are we waiting for and how do we wait by faith? Two crucial questions for the Christian life this morning. So the first is this. What are we waiting for? 
And, well, I think the, the one thing this passage says that we are waiting for is a new creation. We are waiting for a renewal of this world. And, you know, we all have kind of this double feeling about this world that we both love it and hate it kind of at the same time. Don't you feel that way? It's like, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. There's so many experiences. It's amazing that to be alive and just to even breathe and to be a human. And yet it's so painful and hard and there's so much disappointment. And I'm not sure if I want to be here or not be here. I kind of want both at the same time. And what we actually want is we want a renewal of God's good creation. And, um, and you can see in this verse, that new creation is what God has in his mind because this passage begins in verse 10 and says, and he said, behold, I am making a covenant. Now, if you haven't been with us in the book of Exodus, this is a really important statement because what the book of Exodus is about is the Israelites were a nation of slaves and God liberated them from the Israelites and he brought them to Mount Sinai and Moses, their leader, goes up on Mount Sinai and they receive the Ten Commandments. God gives them the Ten Commandments and says, this is how you're going to live and I'm, I'm binding myself to you. You are my people and I am your God and you all live in tents. I want to live in a tent with you so you're going to make me a tent called the tabernacle and he gives them instructions on how to build the tent and then almost immediately the people worship a golden calf. And it's this total betrayal, and they worship this other God. Do what God said not to do. And so Moses, if you were here, you know he took the tablets of the covenant that God had made with them, and he goes to the foot of the mountain, the foot of the mountain. It's kind of like where they had joined themselves to God, and he breaks the, the stones. The covenant is broken. Uh, and yet here, in verse 10, the Lord says, okay, I'm making a covenant with you. The covenant's not broken. The covenant goes on. My relationship with you go, goes on. And then it says, as for, verse 10 goes on, it says, Before all your people, I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. Now that word for created is the same word that you find in the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God says, now I'm going to do something that wasn't created, that I didn't do in the beginning. It's not the original creation, it's a new creation. I'm beginning a new creation. And the promise of a new creation is one of the most important in the whole Bible. That the story of the Bible is basically God made a good world. Humans rebelled against God, and so now the world's become good and miserable at the same time. And so God sends, chooses a people, and then he chooses his son to be a light to the world, and he's transforming and restoring his creation. And so what happens at the end of the Bible, if you go to the final page of the Bible in Revelation 21, it says, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. The end of the story that we're living at, the end of this age, God is going to restore this good creation. He's going to bring peace to it. And he's going to do that. Uh, and if we have a share in Christ, we will have a share in that new creation. Now, I'll tell you, you know, Something that was interesting to me as I was studying this passage yesterday, I was at Woods working on my sermon, and what I'd planned at this point in the sermon was to say, well, you know, one of the things that God does is when he makes a new creation, he doesn't scrap the old creation, like destroy the old creation, I'm just going to start over. He restores and he renews the old creation. And so what he's doing in this passage is he's taking these Israelites who are slaves, and he says, it's out of you are going to be the beginning of my new creation. And, and where I thought I saw that in this passage was the end of verse 10, where it says, and all the people among whom uh, you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. I thought I was saying to the Israelites, an awesome thing that I'm going to do with this community. 
But that you at the end of that isn't a plural. It's a singular. He doesn't say this to the Israelites. He says it to Moses. I'm going to do something with you, just Moses. And I was kind of annoyed because that's not what I was planning to say in my sermon. So, and then it got worse because I thought, well, at least the rest of the passage has all these commandments for the Israelites. But then you go down the, and you see all these commandments. You see in verse 11, it says, observe what I say to you this day. That's not a y'all. That's not a you all. This is a you, singular. And then verse 17, you shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. Verse 18, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Verse 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day uh, you, you shall rest. These commandments are all given to an individual. They're not given to a group. And you may be wondering, well, you know, maybe commandments in the Bible are just given to individuals. They're not given to groups. Maybe all the commandments are that way. No. Go earlier in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, right after the Ten Commandments. Actually, the Ten Commandments are given in the singular, which is interesting. But right after it, it has a verse almost like this. It says, y'all, you all shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall y'all make for yourselves gods of gold. So what is happening here? Well, all of these instructions are not spoken to the nation as a whole Moses is up on the mountain, and they're given to him. They're given to the individual, to the mediator, the representative of the people who is Moses. And all these wonders, this new creation that God is going to begin, he is saying God intends for the people of Israel, but they're going to come through the mediator. And it's the faithfulness of the mediator that will bring about the promises. Now, this is all exactly the same for us. Uh, the, you see how the people are wrapped up with the mediator. Look at verse 27, what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And this is the same with us, that the hope for us of a new creation, God is giving through the faithfulness of his mediator, who is Jesus. Hebrews says Jesus is the greater Moses. And it's through his faith. It's not, it's not, Ultimately, because of our faithfulness, our righteousness, our wisdom, or good works, or obedience, it is because of his faithfulness and righteousness, he is the singular one who represents us. And so when we ask the first question, what are we waiting for? We are waiting for the one who is to come, the mediator, in whom all the promises of God are yes to us. He came once, he will come again, and he will make all things new. And this is the absolute incredible future that we all have. The future that we all feel like, I can't imagine what it would be like to live in a renewed creation in God's presence with no more sin, no more loneliness, no more depression, no more death, no more disappointment. This, I, both the world and each one of us becoming what God originally envisioned us to be, that we will become that way. That is the hope that we have in the future. And that is the thing that we are waiting for. And you say, okay, but what does that say about our experience of waiting now? What does that say about our experience of waiting now? And it's because, you know, this passage is full of instructions. And you might say, okay, they're written in the singular to Moses. But what does it mean for the rest of the people? Well, that's our second point, is how then do we wait by faith? How do we wait in faith? And when the Lord says in verse 11, observe what I command you today, He's saying it to the leader, but the people follow the leader, and we follow Christ. His life shapes our life. And so how do we live in this tension of the slowness of waiting where things don't change and we want them to change? How do we wait in faith? Well, three things I want to point out from this passage. 
First, we wait by giving our allegiance to God alone. We wait by giving our allegiance to God alone. And you know, the first thing is the Lord says to the Israelites, the Israelites are going to go into the promised land, live in the promised land. This is what he says to them in verse 13. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods. And you are invited and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for, their, for your sons. And their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. What the Lord is saying right here is your ultimate allegiance must be to me alone. It's just like the Ten Commandments. You know how do the Ten Commandments start? You shall have no other God besides me. Ultimate allegiance. If you're going to wait for God, you know, each one of us, if you're a Christian, you've got years of waiting. You've got decades of waiting ahead of you. Maybe you have decades of waiting behind you. But the Christian life is years and decades of waiting. How are you going to be able to do that? You have to resolve that I'm committed to Christ. I'm committed to the church. I'm committed to God's promises. That's what we do. You know, every Sunday when we come here for church, after the sermon, we say the Apostles' Creed. And some of you might be like, why do we read this every time? It's because we are saying to our king, it doesn't matter what dark valley I am in right now. This is what I believe. I believe I, was made, I live in a world made by God the Father, Almighty, he, maker of heaven and earth. I'm living in a story that he's writing. And I believe that he is so good and so loving that his own son has come to walk in the dark valley with me. He has suffered everything that humans suffer. He has died for all of my sins. He is, was raised. He has conquered death. He's enthroned in heaven. His purposes are working out through history. His Holy Spirit lives among us. I've been brought into a family, the church, and my sins are forgiven. And there is coming a day when I believe in the resurrection of the body and I will live with God forever and ever. This is a vow of allegiance. This is an oath. This is what we believe. We should say it with conviction what we are here. It doesn't matter what dark valley you are going through. This is what I will stand on. Because that's how kingdoms work. You know, uh, Jen Harris, Pastor Craig's wife, uh, just became an American citizen like a week ago. She was, uh, she was Canadian, and she was down in Seattle. She'd gone through this whole process, and Craig sent me the oath that she read in order to become an American citizen. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereign of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law. I love picturing Jen, like, you know, <laughs> bearing arms for us and defending us. All right, Jen, get out. That I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law. That I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law. And that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. And it was interesting, Craig was talking about when they came in to read this, the judge had all these, you know, maybe 50 people are becoming 
citizens. And he, they had them all stand up. And he said, the next time you sit down, you will be an American citizen. And she said, by saying these words, she was a transformed person. These words, this oath transformed who she was, the very identity of her, of her life. And so if you want to be an American, it begins with an oath of allegiance. If you want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, it begins with an oath of allegiance. And if your spiritual life, if you think of your spiritual life as, you know, I'm going to go get a little Jesus, you know, pick me up. And a little inspiration to kind of get me up, sorry. A little inspiration to get me through the week. You will not patiently wait through the dark valleys of life in this world. You will only wait if you have resolved to give Jesus and his kingdom your supreme loyalty. No matter what comes, I belong to him. So the first thing we learn about waiting is we, give, we wait by giving our allegiance to Christ. Second, we wait by remembering what God has done in the past. We trust what God will do in the future by looking back to what God has done in the past. That's how Advent is. That's what we're doing right now is remembering what Jesus came the first time to believe that he's going to come the second time. This was true for the Israelites too back in Moses' day. You see what it says in verse 18, how it says, You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep. Now, if you don't know what any of that's talking about, what it's talking about is the, the Passover feast. Every year, the Israelites would have this feast where they remembered when God saved them out of Egypt. And the ten plagues came on Pharaoh, and the tenth plague killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians. But the firstborn of the Israelites, they were spared. And so they have this feast that reminds them of what God has done in the past to teach them about his faithfulness into the future. Um, the whole feast was to remember what God had done, which is a huge part of waiting. And, you know, I learned to, like, look back at what God has done for my wife. She's, she's an Enneagram 9, if you know what that means. <laughs> If you don't know what an Enneagram is, like a personality test, we learned about this last year. She's an Enneagram 9. I'm an Enneagram 7. Sevens, some of you are going to hate this. I'm talking about the Enneagram. Sorry. If you don't know, you don't need to know what it is. But all you need to know is that I'm, a, depending on your personality, you have a different personality towards time. My personality, I'm always thinking about the future. I always got a new idea for the future. Oh, we should do this. We should do this. And, of course, I'm always worrying about the future, too, because you, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And pretty much every week, I'm telling my wife, I don't think I'm going to have a sermon this week when we get to And what does she say inevitably? Well, I'm not too worried because I just look back at every single Sunday that you've said that. And you're not going to have a sermon. And you did have a sermon. So the record of the past says I'm pretty sure you're going to have a sermon this Sunday. And... Looking back at God's faithfulness, he provides. The way that we patiently wait and go into the future is by knowing, on the one hand, remembering what he's done in each of our individual lives. And there's a tremendous amount of faithfulness present in this very room. Just think of all these people sitting in this room, all the faithfulness that God has shown to each one of you. And then you think about his church worldwide, the, the care that he has given, the shepherd has given to his people. And then you add on to that his faithfulness to send his son we remember what he has done in the past. So how do we wait? We give our allegiance to Jesus' kingdom. We remember the gospel. Third, we wait through rhythms of rest. 
We learn to wait by having rhythms of rest in our lives. Of course, you see that in verse 21 where it says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at year's end. Now, I'm not going to explain what each of these feasts are, but I'll only say that the Israelites had woven into their annual year these feasts. And uh, they had rhythms of rest, rhythms of gathering and feasting together. And the most important rhythm was the weekly Sabbath. And I love how it says, this is the only place in the Old Testament where it adds this little bit about the Sabbath, where it insists on both the seasons of plowing and in harvest. You're supposed to keep the Sabbath. The seasons of plowing and harvest were the busiest times of the year. That's when you had to work the hardest. That's when you had the most concern, like our whole life depends on working these whole years. And he says those are the ones that need special attention. If you are in a crazy season of your life, those are the seasons where you have to give particular attention to stop and to rest and to be still. Because ultimately, God's gift, the fulfillment of a promise, won't come through our work. You know, waiting is passive. Waiting is not active. It's being still and saying, I believe that God will be true in his promise. And it's not up to me, it's up to him. And so many of our sins come from wanting relief now from suffering. And we get angry. And we don't want to wait for God to work in his time. So we need to learn to rest and to be still and to trust in the Lord. And so how do we wait? By giving our allegiance to the kingdom by remembering what God has done and walking through regular rhythms of rest and being still because each one of these points us to Jesus and ultimately we wait in him. In what ways is God calling you to wait on him today? What are the areas where you say, I don't want to wait. I'm, I see a distant future and I want the future now. I don't want it in his own timing. What are ways that you are tempted to act act and to fix it, and you are not willing to be still. Jesus says during this Advent, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Be still in him and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray.